0: You are listening to Rabbi Aria Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. It is so wonderful to see everyone here. We are going to take a little break of our discussion that we've had, our discussion that we've had every week about the Messiah, and we're going to jump to a different topic that I think is very, very important for us to discuss, particularly in our generation, in our time that we're in right now. I think it's critically important for us to learn the following Talmud. Now, today, as many of you know, uh, in The Hague, there was a court case brought by South Africa against the people of Israel. And it was a, a case where there are saying that Israel is violating international laws and um and that they're being too forceful against the Palestinians and and Hamas and Gaza and whatever the nonsense that they're spilling there and it reminded me of this Talmud that we are going to study today i think it is critically important that we understand the framework of this world? What is really going on here? And why is God placing these situations in front of us specifically at this time? Now, we talked previously that we're dealing with the times of the coming of Messiah. In the times of the coming of Messiah, we talked about the travails of Messiah, the challenges that the people are going to face prior to the coming of Messiah, so now the question is why is God bringing about these scenarios and situations which seem unnecessary. I mean the, the war could go on without this law, law uh this uh, whole case in the Hague. The world can continue to operate without all of these demonstrations by these pro-palestinians, you know, uh Uh, Free Gaza, from the river to the sea, all of these uh, Columbia, Harvard, anti-Semites, and all of that. The world can function very, very nicely without it. The world can function without it. The Jewish people can succeed without it. So why is it necessary? Why is this even happening? And I think it's important for us to discuss this so we get a frame of mind of how Hashem operates in this world and why Hashem is doing this to us. Why is Hashem doing this to the nations of the world? It's not as simple as you think. And if you're thinking about these questions that I'm asking, you're like, what's the problem? What do you mean? Listen to what the Talmud says. The Gemara cites an Agathic teaching which expounds the verse that was mentioned previously about uh, the nations of the world. Papa. Rabbi Bar Papa expounded in this Talmud, page 2a in Tractate Zarah, and it continues on to 2b and to 3a. It's a long Talmud. In the future, the Holy One, the Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, will take a Torah scroll and hold it close to his chest and declare, Whoever occupied himself with this Torah, the Torah that we study, the laws that we learn here at this desk, in this classroom, on these podcasts, in these videos, whoever studied Torah, come and receive your reward. Immediately all of the idol worshippers Gather and come in this array. Shenemar and the verse, as the verse states, Kol Agoyim yachtov, all of the nations gather together. And this is a verse in Isaiah. Amr God says, Whoa, 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 whoa! I need order here. Not everyone attacking the doors of God's holy, you know, kingdom. Relax, one nation at a time. Elo called Uma rather let each nation come enter with its scholars. Shenemer as the verse states, as it states, and the liumim the nations assembled, The Lo and the term Luum means nothing other than a kingdom. So each kingdom will come, each uh, power in the world will come in front of God and demonstrate. What they did with God's Torah. Because again, what is the Torah? We talked about this recently in our Bible Crash Course. We just released the first episode of the Bible Crash Course. What is the purpose of the Torah? Why was the Torah given? Why did God write the Torah and give the Torah to to his people? God wrote it as a manual for living. You want to understand the secrets of this world? There's a Torah. God has a book. It's right over here. Bestseller. Amazon, number one, the Torah. The Torah tells you exactly what the manufacturer, creator of heaven and earth, God himself, tells us is the rule book for how to live your life. There's no secrets. It's right out there in the open. God tells you what he likes and he tells you what he dislikes. It's, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for us to be second guessing. God says very clearly exactly what to do. So now the nations of the world see this Torah. Everyone has access to this. Anyone who has an account on Amazon, anybody who uh, can walk into a Barnes & Noble or any bookstore, any place in the world, you have a Bible, you have a Torah. So the nations of the world are going to come now and try to persuade God that they indeed fulfilled God's Torah. The Gemara in, uh, interrupts the narrative to ask, Um, mi, ikor, buvya kamea, Come on. You're telling me that there was this whole commotion. Everyone is trying to enter into God's, uh, you know, room, so to speak, to give their case. There's no balagan. There's no mess by in front of God. There's no disorderly fashion. So the Gemara says, Elo ki hechi de irbuve inhu behade adodi. Rather, the reason that God directs the idolaters to organize themselves into individual nations is so that they should not become intermingled with one another. In order that they will not be able to hear and respond to that which God is telling them. Meaning, if it's one nation, which is very important for us to understand, when we stand as individuals, when time is up, and we check in our soul back to God, and... Our body gets buried here in this world. Our soul is an eternal soul. God says, okay, what did you do? The same idea is true that every person will stand in front of God as an individual. You're not going to be standing with all your bodies, well, we all. No, 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 it's not we all. God's not going to say, oh, well, y'all have to, no, there's none of that it's going to be each individual. Same thing with the nations. Each nation will stand in front of God alone and make their case. And God will respond to them appropriately to each nation. But God doesn't want one nation listening to what the other nation and each one for a number of reasons. Number one is that they shouldn't be embarrassed because they're going to be humiliated. And God doesn't want his creations to be humiliated in front of one another. That's number one. There's another thing is that for basic, you know, tactic, you don't want someone else to hear the arguments, mm-hmm. right? You keep each, each defendant in, in a different room. And that way they don't hear the arguments of the other case. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara returns to the narrative. <inaudible> The first nation that immediately came in was the Roman Empire, comes in as the first nation to be admitted before God. The Gemara explains why the Romans merited this distinction. What, what did the Romans do? My time, what is the reason that the Romans are the first nation to be admitted? Mishum dechashiva, because it is the most prestigious nation. de dechashiva. And from where do we know that they are the most prestigious? Dechsev. It is written in the verse in Daniel chapter seven. It will devour the entire earth and trample and crumble it. This is referring to the to the Romans. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi, Rabbi, Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said regarding this verse, "Zo romi This is referring to the wicked Roman Empire. Whose influence has spread throughout the entire world. The influence of the Romans has uh, taken over the world. And from where do we know that the most prestigious goes first in judgment? Because we learn from the Amr said, If the king and his community are awaiting trial, the king goes in first for judgment. As it is stated, to do the judgment of his servant and the judgment of his people Israel. So we see, and what is the reason that the king is given priority? If you prefer to say, it is not appropriate, it's not proper conduct to make the king wait out in the corridor outside and have others uh, be inside for proceedings while he's waiting. And if you prefer to say, you can also explain, it is preferable to admit the king first so that the trial can take place before God's anger increases and gets worse and worse due to the sins of the public who were judged previously. So you first start with the king and then you deal with the with the uh, with the rest of the people. Okay, so now we know that we start with the Romans. So now what's the actual proceeding going to, going to look like? Having explained that the Romans are admitted first, the Gemara returns to its narrative. Amar Lema the Almighty said to the Romans, he's going to say, this is going to be, just sort of like, okay, to those of you who are watching this Thinking Talmudist broadcast, I just want you to know, you can tell this to the nations of the world, All right, This is what's going to happen. They're going to say, one second, were you at the Hague? You're, you're, you had representation there. Okay, this is the question here. Okay, the Holy One, blessed is He, will say to the Romans, "Bimaya Saktim." What did you guys involve yourselves with? <laughs> Omer Lefanov? they respond to the Almighty, Master of the Universe, Harbe We established many marketplaces. Harbe We made many bathhouses. Harbe We amassed much Gold and silver, Lo Asinu Elo And all of them, we only did it for the sake of the Jews. Kadeshis about Torah so that they can involve themselves in the study of Torah. the Almighty says, <coughs> excuse me. Shotim olam, fools of the world. Everything that you say you've done for the Jewish people, you did it only for yourself. Tikantem Shvakim Lahoshiv Bahenzonos, you established the marketplaces to quarter prostitutes in them. Merachatzos Laadin Bahem Atzmachem, bathhouses to luxuriate yourselves in them. Kesef the gold and the silver. Shaliu, that belongs to me anyway. As the verse states, mine is the silver and the gold, says Hashem, Master of Legions. Hashem asks them, are there among you, those who disseminate this, the Torah that I'm holding right here, that are in my arms? Anybody? Who among you will declare this and every time it says this? Where does the word this appear? We say Vizos ha Torah. And this is the Torah. The Talmud says anytime you see the word Zos, it's referring to the Torah. Miyad Yatsu nefesh. Upon hearing this, the Romans immediately leave in total despair. So the nations are going to be asked, What did you do to help the Jewish people? What did you do to help the Jews? Oh, we built the Brooklyn Bridge so that the Jews can can travel from uh, Brooklyn to Manhattan. You built it for the Jews? Really? You built it for the Jews? Everyone knows that that's a joke. They're going to be held accountable for that. Let's see the next nation comes in. Yotsu Malchus Romi, the Roman Empire goes out and the Persian Empire enters after her. V'niknesu Malchus Parasacharel. what is the reason that the Persian Empire is admitted next? because they're the most prestigious empire after the Romans. Umanolin, how do we know this? aru damyo ledov. And behold, another beast, a second one similar to a beer. Bitonar and Yosef says, Elo Parsim, these are the Persians, Kadov, who eat and drink like a beer. basar kadov, and are thickly coated with flesh, like a beer, se'ar kadov, and grow their hair like a beer. Kadov, and likewise they don't have ever they don't have rest like a beer like a beer so they have many comparisons of this per- Persian Empire they're never the, the the their tendencies are like a beer so the Gemara returns to the Persian trial <speaking in Hebrew> the Almighty God creator of heaven and earth, says to them Bemaya saktim <speaking in Hebrew> with what did you involve yourselves Orfannov <speaking> in ha <Hebrew> Master of the universe, Yerbon Shalom, Harbek Sharam Gasharnu, We have constructed many bridges. Harbe Krakim Kovashnu, We conquered many cities. Harbe Milchamas Ossinu, We waged many defensive wars. Vikulam, And all of these. Loasinu Asinu Elbishvil Yisroel, We only did them for the sake of the Jews. Kedeshis Askub So that they can involve themselves in Torah study. That's why we did it. O'melahem HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem says, Really? Kol ma'asha, Whatever you did, you did for your own sake. Tikantem ksharm you constructed bridges. Lito mehemeches, to collect taxes. Tolls. That's why you did it. You didn't do it so that the Jews can, can learn Torah you conquered cities, Lasso Behem, Angaria, in order to press their inhabitants and livestock into the service of the king. Milchamos, and you waged wars. Aniasisi, I in fact am the one who has waged the wars. Aniasisi. Shenemer Hashem Ishmochama, as the verse states, Hashem is the master of war. We have that in this week's Parsha. This week's Torah portion, we say, Hashem Ishmachama. Hashem is the one who wages war are there among you those who disseminate this Torah? This Torah that I'm holding in my hand? Shinemar are mi bochem ya'gid zos, ve'ein zos ala Torah. Mi'ad yotzu, milifanov, b'pechei Immediately, the Persians leave from before God's presence in total despair. We're not done yet. Do you understand what's going on here? Does it make a little bit more sense what's going on here? You think an innocent college student in some university going and demonstrating against the the Jewish people? You know what that does? It is their own indictment. When they're going to come later on and say, oh, we wanted to help the Jewish people, God is going to pull up that video. And what do you say about this? And when the nations of the world come and say, what do you mean? We helped the Jews. We were allies, but we stabbed them in the back. God's going to show that. Really? You did it for yourself We you did it for, for the Jewish people? Who did you do it for? This is the indictment not of Israel. This is the indictment of the nations of the world who didn't stand up for Israel. You have this in the UN on a daily basis. And we said last week, the UN should burn to the ground. The world will be a better place without it. The Hague should burn to the ground as well. Because this is where a bunch of anti-Semites come and unite to disparage, to humiliate, and to aggravate Hashem's chosen people. Now, Hashem's chosen people is not a racist statement. It's a statement of responsibility. We don't say it to gloat. We don't say, oh, we're a Jewish people, and now you should... No, on the contrary. As a Jewish people, we're obligated to what? To 613 commandments in the Torah. We're obligated. The nations of the world have a perfect place in heaven with only seven commandments. That's it. The Jewish people, 613 commandments. We're obligated to more. It's not like a a point of arrogance or, we're we're chosen and we... No, on the contrary, we're chosen. We have to bow our heads and get to work. We have so much more to do. We're obligated to so much more. But the nations of the world who don't stand with the Jewish people are going to have a terrible judgment to come. And this is their indictment. That they are placing on themselves when they vote against Israel, when they vote against the Jewish people, what they're doing is it's damning to them because the day of judgment will come where every nation will stand in front of the Almighty and they're going to have to answer for themselves. And they're not going to be able to say, well, it was our politicians, it was our, no, 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 they're going to bring all the wise people, their advisors, they're all going to be standing there like little, you know, puppets, like a bunch of little Karl Roves, you know, standing there. And what are they going to say for themselves? What are they going to say for themselves? It happens to be, it happens to be that there's never, ever been a nation that has been good to the Jewish people, like the United States of America, which is what our sages of modern day call the kingdom of kindness, which is why many of our rabbis on Independence Day will wave the flag in front of their homes and celebrate many of the American holidays to show our gratitude and appreciation for the unbelievable kindness that the American people have showed for the Jewish people. The fact that we can sit here and study Torah uninterrupted and have an entire uh, country that has religious freedom. You can open up a synagogue in your home, no one's going to bother you. It's not like in the times in the Spanish Inquisition You lit Shabbos candles Friday night. You were shot dead. If you didn't accept the cross, if you didn't serve their idols, you were put to death. You were were murdered on a stake in in the square. America, the Jewish people come here and they're allowed to serve their God. They're allowed to practice their religion. They're allowed to give their boys a bris on their eighth day except in San Francisco, and they are allowed to have a bar mitzvah, and they're allowed to sit and learn Torah, and this is an unbelievable gift, and we have to recognize this every single day, that the reward that the United States will be rewarded at the end of time for the good things they've allowed us to do do here. You had a question. Israel has been saying it since October 7th, since Simchas Torah, the, the the Israeli people are saying that we have footage of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief, uh, whatever re- relief agency, were members of Hamas. Not only that, the Israelis found papers of on, on on in the homes of professors where the Hamas sent them letters and to their universities that they are suspended from their task of being professors in university to serve in Hamas. So the professors, the teachers, the preschool teachers, by the way, they found in the preschools, under the kids' cribs, in nurseries, rockets, RPGs, guns, Kalashnikovs. I mean, what world are we living in? The problem is, I'll tell you why you can't believe that UN members would be involved with this, because you think UN is good. The United Nations is a garbage organization. It always was. I'm sorry to get this class to become a political thing, but it's not political. These are facts. The UN has not done a single good thing since its creation, since its establishment. Every day they're condemning Israel. Every day they're indicting themselves. They're indicting themselves. And there are good French people, there are good British people, there are good German people, there are good Russians, there are good Indians, there are good Chinese, there, there are good. But the representatives who are representing their countries are are perverting and causing their entire nation to be seen as a negative force. All right, so the Talmud now continues. But once the Persian Empire saw that the arguments of the Roman Empire helped them not one bit, my time, why did they even enter to plead their case before God when they essentially presented the very same argument that the Romans had made? The Gemara answers Amrei because the Persians said to themselves Anhu Sosrei Beis hamikdosh. They, the Romans, they actually destroyed the Jewish Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Ba'anan Ba'nenon. Whereas we, the Persians, we helped construct it. So therefore, right, after the time of Mordechai, Mordechai and Esther and Achashverosh, right, they helped the Jewish people go back and rebuild the second temple. So, In a way, they're saying, it's like, they destroyed the temple, we helped build it, and therefore the case is going to be different for us. So now the Talmud continues to talk about the trials of the other nations. And the same will transpire for each and every nation. Each will argue that they should merit reward because of the temporal achievements from which Israel also derived benefit, and their claims will all be denied. The Gemara acts, asks, But once the other nations have seen that the rationalizations provided by the previous nation helped nothing, why would they continue to make their case? You saw one nation after another nation. Again, there are 70 nations. One nation after another, they're each going in defeat. So why does number 12 decide to walk in? Or number 13? Or 14? It's just going to be the next the next uh, nation to fall. Meaning they all gave their claims in front of the Almighty, and all of them walked out in embarrassment. The Gemara answers, They think to themselves, These other nations subjugated the Jews. Right? Whereas we did not subjugate the Jews. We didn't make them suffer. Right? There were never Jews in uh in Uganda. They were, actually were right, in, in Tebi, right? But and they weren't too nice to the Jews there. But imagine the nations are going to say, well, we were we were just standing on the sidelines. We didn't, we didn't bother with it. You, like you imagine there Jews in uh Romania. You actually had Jews in Romania. You had Jews in most other nations, but the Netherlands, you know, like what Jews live in the Netherlands? The Netherlands are gonna say, what do we have to do with this whole mess? It's like we we were just bystanders. So the Gemara asks, My de what is unique about though these first two nations? The Persians and the Romans that are mentioned by name, and why are the other nations? It just says in every nation a nation. It doesn't say the story of each nation and their arguments. Why doesn't it? Why does it only single out the Persians and the Romans? By the way, you know what stands in Rome now, right? Everybody knows what stands in Rome. The Catholic Church, exactly. Okay. By the way. I know I, I know that the Nazis were terrible to the Jews. I know that Jews were murdered in many of the Arab countries, but no one killed more Jews than the Christians. Nobody. The church killed more Jews than all the nations in the world combined. There's more blood on their hands than any other nation. So it, it, it's fitting for them to be the first. All right, so now the Gomorrah continues. The Gemara answers, so why aren't they nations? Mishum dehanoch, moshe b'malchusayu ad For these regimes, the Roman and the Persian empires will endure until the arrival of the Messiah. So these are nations that are going to be around for a while. They still are around. We see that the uh, you have the Vatican, right, which is now its own country, but it's right in Rome. Mm-hmm. and uh, And you have the Persian Empire, which is all of the Arab nations are all part of that. They're all, look look at the hand of Iran. Iran is Persia, right? They're controlling Iraq. They're controlling Syria. And they're controlling Lebanon. And they're controlling Gaza. And they're controlling Yemen. And they're controlling Qatar. And they're controlling all of these nations against Israel. So it's not like it's just, oh, the poor little Iranians in Tehran. Like, you know, they're like innocent people. No. They, uh, okay, so the nations will attempt to defend themselves against God's charge that they did not involve themselves in Torah. Omrim Lufanov, they all say in front of Hashem, in front of God, creator of heaven and earth, Ribbono Shalom, master of the universe, klum Kiblan Kibal nuha. Did you even offer us the Torah? And did we refuse to accept it? No. It was never even presented to us in the first place. Now, we all know because we're all smart and we've learned this many times, right? The Gemara argues that this cannot be their defense since the Gentiles were in fact offered the Torah. And now you'll know the source for it. But can the nations really say this? That they did not get offered the Torah. It is written in Deuteronomy 33 verse 2 He said, Hashem came from Sinai, having shown forth to them from Seir, having appeared from Mount Paran. And it is also written that God came from the south. And what did Hashem have in Seir? And what did God have in Paran? What was God doing in all those places, so to speak? God's everywhere, obviously. But what was God? It says that God was coming from these places. Rabbi Yochanan Yochanan tells us, teaches us, The verse teaches us that the Almighty Himself brought the Torah around to every nation and language. And they did not receive and did not accept the Torah. Until God came to the Jewish people and they accepted it, evidently. The other nations were offered the Torah. We know this from the Medrash that we discussed many times, that we're going to put it in modern-day terms, right? Every nation, by the way, this is not modern-day, this is a fact, every nation had a prophet. Every one of the 70 nations had a prophet, and every one of those prophets got a memo in their inbox one morning. They come to their office, and uh, they open up the memo. And the prophet sees, one second, it's titled, From God. It says, do you want my book? Do you want my manual for living? And everyone's like, oh, well, maybe, what does it say in it? And each nation finds out what it says in it. This one says, oh, you should not uh, covet your neighbor's wife, not for me. You should not steal, not for me. You shall not murder, not for me. You should study my Torah all day and all night, not for me, right? Each one is its like, it, this is not for me. It is like, no way, I don't want that book. I don't want that thing. So they didn't accept it. Elo, so the Gemara asks, rather they will say thus, did we accept the Torah and then fail to observe its precepts? No. We never accepted the Torah in the first place. And therefore, we're not obligated to observe it. If we accepted it and neglected it, okay, that's one thing. But we never accepted it, so why should we have to observe it? It's not our Torah. It's the Jewish people's Torah. Let the Jewish people, they accepted it. Let them keep it. Why do we need to keep it? It's not our Torah. The Gemara argues that this cannot be their defense since it is an inherent condemnation. But in this very contention lies their refutation. For God will tell them, Why then didn't you accept it? That's the problem. Why didn't you accept the Torah in the first place? So the Gemara concedes this point and therefore suggests that they will submit a different defense. What are they going to say now? So they're not going to say, Well, well, we didn't accept it. So therefore, we you can't say, Well, right, what's the argument of ignorance doesn't work in court. You can't say, I was speeding at 160 miles an hour because I didn't know that there was a law that you have to follow the speed limit, right? Your ignorance isn't an innocence. Ignorance isn't innocence. So that's that's the first thing. So they say, you know what, we're not going to really take that defense. We're going to go a different angle. This is what the nations of the world are going to say in defense. You know that the Jewish people received the Torah twice. Anybody remember this? So the first time the Jewish people were at Mount Sinai and they received the Torah. They're like, ah, oh, we got it. But then Hashem put the mountain on top of the people. You remember that? Like a, uh, like a, uh, like a, a, a pot. It's like a pot where God says basically either accept the rest of the Torah, the oral Torah, or I just drop it on you and you're done. And nobody will know you this ever happened. So the Jewish people. And then later on, when the Jewish people had the miracle of Purim, that's when they accepted the Torah again out of love, not out of... So now the nations are saying, well, you never forced us into it. You never forced us into it. That's why we didn't accept the Torah. One second. Let me just finish this. And therefore we did not, we we never really refused it. We just like you never forced us to do it. Kamosha sees you the soul just as you did for the Jewish people that you coerced them to accept it. And they stood at the foot, literally at the bottom of the mountain, meaning the mountain was right on top of them where God says either accept it all or I drop it and goodbye. The Omer Avdimi Barchama Rabdin R. said, This teaches that Hashem placed, tipped the mountain and positioned it over the Jews as though like an overturned vat. But Amr Lem, he said, If you accept the Torah, then great. All is well. The Imlav, but if not, Shom Tehek Furaschim, this will be your burial place. Had you coerced us, the nations say, into receiving the Torah as you did the Jews, we too would have observed its precepts. It is unfair to reward only the Jews for observing the Torah and mitzvos when we would have acted just as they did had you coerced us to accept the Torah. Miyad Omer Elohim HaKadosh Baruch Immediately Hashem says, HaRishonos Unu. Your level of commitment to the first set of commandments, the seven precepts of the Noahide code, the seven Noahide laws, will inform us whether you indeed would have observed the Torah that I coerced upon them. Meaning, let's see if you kept the seven Noahide laws. If you kept the seven Noahide laws so diligently, then we could talk about the rest of it. Because the Noahide laws are not only for those who receive the Torah, Seven Ochad laws are for all the nations of the world. Only seven commandments, and that's it. So if you observe those seven properly, then you have an argument. Then we can talk. But if you didn't preserve those, if you didn't observe those seven commandments, then what? What you don't even have an argument. The first ones will inform us about your commitment. Sheva mitzvos shiki kibaltem, heichon kiyamtem. So let's look. The seven Noah laws, these precepts, that you did accept upon yourselves, have you observed them? No. You have not. And you likewise would not have observed the Torah's commandments if you didn't accept those seven properly, you didn't perform them properly, 613 wouldn't have done the magic trick. Okay. The Gemara asks, and um, And from where do we know that the Gentiles did not observe them? So the Gemara answers, Vitoni Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef taught the following brayso: 'Amad ve'yimoded eretz roa v'yater goyim.' He stood and measured out the land. He saw and dispersed the nations. My roa. What did God see that He dispersed the nations? Roa sheva mitzvos shekiblu." He saw the seven commandments that the descendants of Noah had accepted upon themselves, but they did not observe them. Since he did not observe them, he stood and released the commandments from them. They are no longer obligated to heed the, the, heed the Noahide laws altogether. The Gemara asks in wonder Have they then benefited? By their indiscretions. So they, they, it's like, so you're saying you don't, you didn't pay taxes, so now we're just gonna cancel the taxes. What do you, what do you mean? That's, that's not the way it works. No, we're gonna come after you. Oh, you broke the law. It's fine. The law doesn't apply to you. So he says, Omad v'tirin lekulam. So they're no longer obligated. So the Gemara asks, is that the way it works? That if you don't observe something, we just throw it out? In that case, we see that a sinner benefits from sinning. He benefits from his transgression. So the Gemara explains the Brysa statement. Omar, de Ravino. Omar explained in the name of Ravino. and now we turn to 3a on the top. This is what the Brysa means to say, God decreed that even if the descendants of Noah fulfill the commandments, Ein they do not receive reward, for obeying them, meaning it's the basic basic function of the world, right? Is that you have to have laws, right? We have a court system today, that's a Noahide law. That's one of the Noahide laws. That you don't have adultery, it's a Noahide law. That you kill an animal before eating it, you don't chop off its leg and throw it on the grill, that's a Noahide law. These are basic things that the world needs to exist. But it's not like you're getting some major reward like you did some massive commitment. You got a question? It it might be a surprise to some, but the Jewish people didn't actually speak Hebrew. It was called the holy tongue, the holy language. The, no, Aramaic is not. Aramaic is not. Aramaic is, is like a Persian uh, blend. Um, it was what they spoke in Babylon. That was the language they spoke in Babylon, which is Iraq today. But um, the, the truth is, it, it, the Torah, you know, there are only... What was it? Someone said there's five thousand words in all of the Hebrew, uh, all of the holy tongue. Five thousand words in the modern Hebrew day, Hebrew language. There's over twenty thousand words. Twenty thousand words. So it's 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 like there are many words today. Uh, I I listen to Israeli radio all the time. I I, I you know listened in Hebrew. I I hear what's going on. I am involved with understanding. Uh, not only the culture but the politics the, the you know all of what the underbelly of of uh, the israeli culture and society and politics and world so i would say that a good 30% of their vocabulary is american words israelified it was the language of holiness. It was the holy tongue, which is the the biblical Hebrew, which is very different than modern day Hebrew. I mean, what they've done is, uh, you know, Ben svi the founder of the Hebrew language, or the you know the one who's at, at least modernized it, took a, took the the foundation of the Torah's Hebrew and then made it into its own language. But it's really not, it's not the same language. You don't have words like. Uh, electricity is chashmal, but that's not. It's a word that's taken out of the prophets, referring to the to the heavenly realms, okay? Forces of the, and they use that to define electricity. Okay, so th- there's different types of uh, Christians like that. There are some who believe that only when the Jewish people are back in their land will their J.C. come as the Messiah. There are some who think that. There are some who are just benevolent and kind and believe that they won't get their reward if they don't take care of the Jews properly. Not, nothing to do with their Messiah coming, nothing to do with. So, and there, there are uh, dozens and dozens of variations of that or those ideologies. But here's the bottom line. Remember what the Talmud here says. What did you do to assist the Jewish people in learning Torah? And I can tell you, I met with Pastor Hagee from uh, Cornerstone Church in San Antonio. And I was in his place over there. I met with him. And he is a person who's genuinely concerned about helping the Jewish people for the sake of the Jewish people. And he gives millions of dollars a year to Jewish institutions that are furthering the Jewish cause. Millions. It's not like, you know, it's just like, okay, $10,000. Like you're talking millions of dollars to Israel for Causes of Advancing Jewish Life, uh, including Aliyah helping Jews return to Israel, including organizations of of med- medical assistance, institutions of Torah study. It really is incredible what, what he's he's been able to do to be an example of how the nations of the world should act as responsible stewards in this world. You have resources, well, what are your priorities? Are your priority? Is your priority? God and His people? Or is your priority amassing your own wealth for yourself, building your bridges, building your marketplaces, you know, building all of your infrastructure for yourself? And many places like River Oaks here in Houston, which was no Jews were allowed. No Jews, blacks, and dogs. Yeah. It is sickening. It is sickening. There's no question. It's sickening. And you see, you see the double standard of how they they cry foul for anything that goes on. I remember there was a certain president in the United States who built a, a wall, who talked about building a wall on the southern border to protect from uh, from a, an invasion of our borders. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the Pope, the Pope, the big chacham. Okay, the big wise, uh, the right there, yeah, exactly, big clever man. What did he say? He condemned him as this is a hate, a hateful thing. One second, but to have twelve hundred people slaughtered, burnt in ovens, literally on Simchas Torah, not a word of condemnation, not nothing, 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 not as not a word, like literally chopping off people's heads. It's it's just it's unfathomable that the world is silent on such a thing. It's unfathomable. Yes, I want to want to just summarize because it's it's getting a little late. Everyone has Shabbos to prepare. We're going to continue here next week. We're going to continue this Talmud talking about this exact topic here. But I think it's important for us to realize that no one's going to have a free ride. It's not going to be what you think, my dear friends. It's not going to be what you think. People think, the nations of the world think, oh, we can get away with it, you know, or we can just be quiet about it or just like stick to our corner. We're Canada. Or just like, leave us alone. No, 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 no. By not standing up and defending Israel and just staying quiet, you're allowing it to happen. So I urge all my friends out there, those who are not among the Jewish people, you have an opportunity. It's an unbelievable opportunity for people to show and to declare their position. This is your chance. You have a chance. You have an opportunity. You can declare your position. We are here to protect God's people and to stand up for them and to defend them. And if we don't, we'll be held accountable. And this is what the Talmud, that talks about it, God willing, next week, we will continue this. Yes, you have a question. All right. so I, 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 agree. I agree that you should, we should find every way possible to support all of those uh, vendors who are supporting Israel. Show your support. But on the reverse, there is actually a, a, a disgusting restaurant that opened up in Jordan called October Seventh, and it's a way a way of celebrating. Come eat and drink and wine and dine, uh, in great joy for this terrible calamity. It's like imagine you had a restaurant called uh, Nazi Germany or Treblinka or like uh, Auschwitz Auschwitz Delicatessen. You know what I'm saying? It's just it, it really is repulsive. And again. We're not the arbiters of of justice. The Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, is, and He will account for it. And I'm I'm not questioning it for a second. I just urge each and every one of us to really take our responsibilities seriously, because we're also going to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be held accountable. Almighty is going to say, "You one you you're my chosen people." But what does that really mean? Like, have you done your job? And that that's going to be a, a very difficult question for us to answer if we're not up to par so i urge each and every one of us to to grow in every way that we can in connecting with god in learning his torah in observing his torah to the greatest of our ability and to hopefully share that with the world because that is the number one obligation we have is to bring god into this world so that every it could be palpable for everyone. So that everybody can say, This, right here. We can see it. It's it's clear in front of our eyes that the Almighty is here. Because the name of God is displayed upon you. That when I look at God's people, the nations of the world should say, I see godliness on them. And that should be our blessing. Every day, to be representatives, to be ambassadors of the Almighty on his earth. Amen. Good Shabbos. You've been listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby on a podcast produced by Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. We need you. We need partners. Please help sponsor an episode so we can continue to produce more quality Jewish content for our listeners around the globe. Please visit torchweb.org to donate and partner with us on this incredible endeavor.